0: Welcome to Coming Clean, a podcast that provides a safe place for people to be real and authentic about their struggles to overcome addiction and mental illness. This is the perfect place to share stories of triumph and tragedy with millions of other people who are secretly wrestling with demons that are destroying their lives.
1: The podcast will be educational and informative and will provide hope and inspiration by lighting a path to recovery that promises a better life my name is peter estevez and this is my friend and co-host dr steve Farber, and i'd like to welcome you to today's episode welcome to a new episode of coming clean Podcasts, a safe space to bring awareness to addiction depression mental illness or simply any social taboo this platform is intended to help those interested in a journey from the darkness into the light of self-inconstruction if you listen to the similarities instead of the differences you will eventually hear a story from one of our guests that will guide you into the light of freedom. Today we have a new episode and our guest is Megan Finney. Megan, uh, it's almost, uh, well you're 18 months over, right?
0: Yes, as of December 7th.
1: As of December 7th, 18 months over, well congratulations first and foremost. And thank thank you you for being part of our platform. I actually, uh, we met through social media. Uh, and first, first and foremost, I want to commend you for how active you are in your recovery. We talked a little bit about that before we got the podcast started, but I really believe that the more that we talk about our addiction through the process of recovery, the more that we are able to let go of those things that are holding us back from being the best version of ourselves. That's my opinion. No science behind that. That's just my opinion. And I, uh, You know, I have chosen to be, uh, to not be anonymous, although I got sober through a program of recovery, through a 12-step program. Um, And, but I chose not to be anonymous, because in my opinion, uh, my sobriety has been so wonderful, and I have, and it's been so rewarding. And I also did not know that there was a solution for me for a very, very long time. I thought that I was a problem, and not that I had a problem. And in my social circle, in my family circle, and through my addiction, there was no one ever to step in and, 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 and offer to help me or even th- uh, mention to me that I had a problem. You know, it was just the after effects, you know, the, 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 the guilt, the shame, uh, the next morning uh, uh, hangovers where I felt like, oh, shit, I did it again. Uh, you know, or the I told you so. So uh, with that in mind, I decided to be very open about it. And I am glad and I am very happy that you are as well. Uh, I want to thank you. Out. So let me let me make a quick intro about who you are. You're 32 years old. You live in Seattle with your husband uh, and with your husband Kyle and your beautiful King Carso Mastiff named Roman. Yes. <laughs> How old is Roman, by the way?
0: He is going to be four in April of
1: 2020. Well, good. Now you're you're a housewife. Uh, you're no longer employed. Uh, no. But you, but you also the creator and uh, of Mindbar, which is a social media platform that uh, that creates content to people inform and is basically documenting your sobriety and recovery as well. Is that correct?
0: Yes, that is correct.
1: So, Megan. Tell me why you decided to document your 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 uh, sobriety. Probably, if you're anything like me, because your uh, your addiction was well documented. So, why not document your sobriety, right?
0: Yes, exactly. Um, it took me a while to get to this place. Actually, a year ago was when I made the decision to do a YouTube channel which was intimidating, but I decided, you know, why, why not? And I taught myself how to do everything. You know, it's a lot of work creating a YouTube channel, but I did, like I have my personal Instagram account and I felt like I had the YouTube channel, but I didn't really promote it on my personal Instagram account because, you know, not only that am I sober, but I also struggle with a mental illness, uh bipolar disorder. So I didn't want to broadcast or promote my mental health YouTube channel on my personal Instagram because I didn't want to annoy people in my personal life because not everyone has to deal with these issues. And um, it was actually in September I decided that why not? Like I'm just gonna go for it. I followed on my personal account. I followed, you know, accounts like Shots to Shakes or Booze lists or these other women that are sober and telling their stories. And I was very, uh, I admire them. And I decided, you know, if they're doing it, why can't I do it? And so I decided to name it the mind bar and mind stands for mental illness does not define. And I said, bar, I thought it was kind of funny cause I don't drink. So I just kind of put those together and yeah, I'm having a lot of fun with it.
1: Actually, Rachel Brady, which shots to shake has been a guest in our podcast. We did an episode episode with her, and it was a phenomenal episode talking about millennials and uh, drinking in college and benching and all that good stuff. Uh, Yeah. Phenomenal episode. And, you know, one of the things that's really exciting for me uh, is to see the number of women that have become very spoken about their their sobriety and their recovery process, particularly millennials, uh, because I feel... Uh, that that there is a disconnect and a gap in some of the twelve step programs available. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, one of the reasons that that I started this platform and that I started the podcast was primarily because I saw a disconnect between my personal point of use uh, and some of the older sobriety in the in the twelve step program rooms that I be, that I have attended. Um, what I what I realized was that perhaps. Their beliefs and their traditions were a little bit too stringent. And at the same time, we're kind of closing off some of the younger generation and really turning them off uh, to a point where many I would see first-time comers come into a room, show up for one meeting, and I would never see them again. Uh, The drop-off is great. it's, 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 It's astonishing. So with that in mind, I decided to start the platform and to try to engage a message of positivity and a message of information that would pull back some of those people that were not informed. My motive was, as I said, when I was active in the, in my throes of addiction and in, in, in my alcoholism, there was no one out there that would give me this information. So yeah. uh, what has been your experience, Megan, and we're going to get into your, your hot, you got where you got, but what has been your experience in your 12 step program? You got, you, you, you got sober in rehab, uh, and in the facility that you were in, it was mandatory that you attended a twelve-step program meetings. Is that correct?
0: Yes, that's correct.
1: Okay, and so what has been your your experience in the twelve-step program, and what would you what would you recommend to somebody in young sobriety, in early sobriety, that perhaps how can they navigate in a way that they will not get turned off to a to, to, to a twelve-step program?
0: Yeah, I think for me, like I said, when I was in treatment, uh, I had to go to AA. So I went to treatment in Pennsylvania. So when I flew home 70 days later, uh, my friend Tara, who you have seen in other videos, she was already doing AA and becoming really ingrained in the program. And so I decided that I was just gonna, you know, go full force into it. I heard people in the rooms of AA say that you know, if you get a sponsor, you work the steps, you attend regular meetings that these promises are going to come true. And at the time early on in my sobriety, I was so miserable and I wanted to drink so bad because of the feelings of discomfort. But I knew that I knew where that was going to lead me. And I decided to give it all I had to do exactly what everyone told me to do and give, give AA my best shot. And that's exactly what I did. And I did work the steps. I told my sponsor that I want to, I want to do exactly what you tell me to do. I will do, I will do it. And we worked the steps really well. And I would say, you know, for me, once I took the inventory of my mistakes and where I went wrong, I kind of let go of that victim mentality because I think for me, you know, I felt safe in the role of being a victim. You know, why do I have to have bipolar disorder? Why did these things happen to me? Why, why, why? And I finally took control and said, okay, like I'm going to take accountability. I have made mistakes. I have hurt people. I have upset people. I have resentments with people. Like let me clean up my side of the street and make it right and i found a lot of freedom in that so i had a good experience with the 12 steps and i would recommend for someone that's you know young in sobriety to you know it's worth giving it a try it might not be for you but if you go into it with an open mind and commit to it like i did and give it your all it can really have positive benefits from it and um you know and then after you do the steps you can decide if you want to take it or leave it like I think you owe it to yourself if you really want to get sober to try and give it your all and then after you do it then you can kind of decide hey like I tried it you know you at least you know
1: well so so, so basically part of what you did was surrender yeah and created a foundation to stabilize your your sobriety and now that you have found somewhat stability in your in your sobriety and recovery not you are dabbling in other things that to help you enhance your recovery and to tailor it in a way that 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 suits you right
0: exactly that you couldn't have said it better that's exactly how i feel and for me doing the mind bar instagram and documenting my journey and having all these amazing people out there write me the kindest most Just these messages I get are amazing, and people telling me that I'm helping them like, truly doing this mind bar Instagram is good for my recovery. It's accountability, you know, knowing that people look up to me and that they count on me for my posts and they want to, you know, that I'm helping them just means everything to me. And so, that also, you know, as time goes on in your recovery and things start to get good, you sometimes forget how bad it got, and those thoughts creep in of like, oh, like, you know a drink with dinner sounds good or whatever. But the fact that I do have this Instagram account where a lot of people are looking up to me, that makes me want to make good decisions. You know, there's other things I do besides the Instagram account, but I think it is important, you know, in the beginning, you're so vulnerable. And so doing something like AA is definitely you know, it's worked for me. All I can say is my experience, you know, with it. And I was against it. Like, I did not want to do AA. I didn't want to admit I had a problem, but I just kept hearing everyone say that life is going to get so good if you do these steps. And so I'm glad I did. And I am where I am today. And, you know, then from there, once you do the steps and you kind of get solid, then you can pick and choose different things that work for you and leave what doesn't work for you.
1: Perfect, and then if it, 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 you can also use the twelve step program as a tool. For example, uh, going back to another meeting kind of brings you back to reality and reminds yeah. you when you started. Uh, is, particularly if you're able to go into a meeting one where you hear an old timer share their their, their 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 drunken log or their stories, or if you hear a newcomer come in, come in you know, uh, or uh, you know, talking about where they at it in, in in their process, so so there is a lot of advantages to the twelve step program, uh, and, and I didn't want to minimize it, but I also wanted to emphasize the way that yes, we can survive the twelve step program, if we utilize other tools that enhances the ability to be able to do something else, our size, our recovery, and you doing you're doing constant service work. You know, by doing your time your yeah. bar and making it part of a social media, you're basically doing live 12-step group. You know, you're reaching more people at one time. And if, if, if you know any history at all about the 12-step program, particularly the one that was funded in 1935, uh, we we all know that that many of the early founders of that program would actually go to uh, hospitals and institutions and jails to sober up people so you're doing that through social media and I think that's 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 I mean I think that's that that's what needed to be unfortunately to someone in the 12-step program of recovery they may think that we're violating one of the traditions
0: yes Uh, uh, I I mean what you just said right there like I'm so glad I met you because we share literally the exact same viewpoint on that and I could not agree with you more like Everything you just said.
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean I mean and, and, and the reality is that we live in a we live in a society and it is constantly changing. Uh, mm-hmm. Everything has changed. I mean, for God's sakes, there there's been so many movements that have legalized so many things that we thought were taboos, that were sins. Legalization of marijuana, legalization of gay marriages or same same couple marriages. I mean, and yep. we can go on and on and on. So there's literally there's a movement to change the way we think and the way we have been programmed. There's nothing that tells us that something that was created two, three hundred years ago has to stay like that forever. I mean, for God's sake, nature evolves, you know, constantly. We need to evolve along with it. So now let's let's get into your story. I want to hear your okay. story. I want to hear where Megan started drinking and what led, because you did not discover that you had a bipolar disorder for a very long time. In fact, you found out in treatment that you had a bipolar disorder. And there's many disorders, many mental illnesses, uh, many many mental health illnesses, they go undiagnosed with a lot of us in, in, in recovery because we are acting out behaviors that seem odd and abnormal, but because there's been such a stigma in mental illness, we have a tendency of sweeping that under the rug overlooking it or not even taking the time to to diagnose it and find out what's wrong with us so tell us a little bit about your journey and take us up into into um treatment
0: okay well um there's been a lot so you know i grew up in a household where um you know i had a pretty normal childhood i guess i have my mom and dad are still married i have a younger sister i grew up playing sports. I would say that I started drinking in high school, and pretty much from the beginning, you know, I didn't know how to regulate my drinking. If I was drinking, I was going to get drunk, and who knew? Who knows what was going to happen after that, you know? I would black out. I would say and do things I you know, would regret the next day, but, you know, no one had ever really called me out for having a problem because a lot of the people I associated with also drank excessively. So, you know, moving forward into my twenties, I went to cosmetology school and got my hair license, uh, to be a hairstylist when I was 21 and by 24, I decided to start my own business and I was very successful. You know, I'm a very driven, very determined person. When I set my mind to something, like I do it. And I knew that for me, having a boss wasn't going to work for me in the hair industry. And so, like I said, I started my own business. I became very successful and, um, I didn't get diagnosed with bipolar disorder until I was 30, but once I got diagnosed, looking back on my life so much makes sense. Um, I, uh, can see that when I was, uh, running my business and doing hair, you know, I would be, you know, working a 12 hour day, going to the gym, doing lots of social events, you know, just go, go, go. And alcohol would always be a part of that. But then on my days off, which people didn't see was that I would stay home and isolate myself and, you know, be what is depressed. I didn't know it was depression at that time, you know, and during the time period of being misdiagnosed and not knowing that I had bipolar, I would self-medicate with, you know, smoking marijuana to bring me down and drinking to heighten my mania. And things came to a head when I was 29 years old. This was in 2016. In July, I stopped sleeping. And I don't just mean I had a hard time sleeping. Like, I literally stopped sleeping. Like there was nothing I could do to sleep. I tried every medication that was prescribed to me by doctors. And basically I got prescribed an antidepressant that is for depression. And some education is that depression and bipolar depression is very different. And so this medication that I was prescribed flipped me um, into a mixed episode where I almost committed suicide on September 7th of 2016. And I was uh, put into a psychiatric ward and it was terrifying. I've never had an experience like that. And uh, when I got released, I stopped taking the antidepressant. I went back to work right away and just tried to brush everything under the rug. But all my hair clients could see that I wasn't well. I had lost a ton of weight. I was withdrawn. I could barely talk from all the sleep deprivation. But like I said, I'm a very determined person. Like I was determined to not let this depression take me down. But by November of 2016, I just, I couldn't go on anymore. So my mom took my business phone. She handled all my hair clients and I took a leave of absence from work to just really take the antidepressant and let it kick in. So my birthday is December 31st, New Year's Eve. So by December 31st of 2016, the antidepressant is finally working because it takes six to eight weeks for it to work. And, um, then, I started getting manic and I had no idea what a manic episode was or even really what bipolar disorder was before I got diagnosed. But, you know, to everyone around me, they thought my behavior was very strange. I began drinking every day. I wore strange outfits. I would talk a lot and very fast. I would interrupt people. I was very rude and abrasive. And, you know, there's lots of other symptoms and things that happen. But I had a terrible manic episode in the spring of 2017 where uh, in April of 2017, I went to jail three times and to two psych wards all in one month. And prior to this, I have never been arrested or had any problems with the law. You know, before I had my own business, I was successful, drove a brand new car, have my husband, have my dog, just on the outside, my life looks great. And then all of a sudden I'm in jail for nonviolent crimes, by the way. I didn't do any it was all misdemeanors. But anyways, so after the I got diagnosed with bipolar disorder in jail, actually and they transported me from jail to the psych ward. And um, that was in late April, early May of 2017. And so um, it was devastating getting diagnosed with a mental illness because um, it just is. And then also when I was manic, I wrote a bunch of really embarrassing things on social media, on Facebook, uh, statuses when I'm in a psychosis. And So everyone that was my Facebook friend witnessed this like mental breakdown. And so after I leveled out and got diagnosed and got put on medication, that kind of brought me back to reality. I realized everything that had happened. Like I stopped running my business. I had to go to court for, you know, being in jail. I had bills to pay of being taken away in the ambulance to, you know, psych ward bills, all this kind of stuff. and so. Also during this time, I separated from my husband. I, you know, we would argue a lot when I was manic and I was convinced in my psychosis that he was a terrible person and abusive to me. And so we had separated, but my husband is a great man and he, you know, we got back together shortly after I was diagnosed because he educated himself and uh, you know, we tried to work on our marriage and we moved back in together. And that's when my alcoholism really kicked up a notch. And like I said, looking back in hindsight, like I can see that I've always had a drinking problem since I was probably 17 or 18, but now I'm 30 years old. I have bipolar disorder. Everybody in my social life knows even acquaintances people that I don't even really know that well saw my posts on Facebook and I, I was afraid to go to the grocery store. I didn't want anyone to see me. I didn't know how to face the world and with everything that had just happened. And, basically uh i started self medicating with alcohol and this happened i'd say around october of 2017 you know between april of 2017 and october i didn't really drink much cuz i was so depressed and shocked from you know coming down from my first manic episode and realizing you know what had happened but once i started kind of you know feeling a little better that's when i started drinking and by february of 2018 I was full blown drinking every day, all day. I started hiding bottles. Uh, My husband would come home from work and I would be drunk and we would get into arguments because, you know, he would be asking me like, why are you drinking like this? You know, what is going on? And you know, now I look back and can see that, you know, everything I had gone through with my mental health crisis had just completely traumatized me along with I have trauma from my childhood. And when I was 23, my best friend committed suicide. So I had all these like traumas and deep internal pain that I had been masking for years with alcohol, but everything just kind of came to a full head in the spring of 2018. And so June 7th of 2018 is when I finally got the help that I needed. I went to Pennsylvania to a treatment center on the East Coast that I would highly recommend. It's called Footprints to Recovery. And it was there that I worked with a specialized therapist, a trauma therapist, to you know, finally, you know, rid my body of the substances and allow myself to feel and process the pain and sadness and sorrow of everything I've been through. And it was the hardest thing I've ever done. But that's kind of what got me to recovery. It's a lot. I know. It's a lot telling the story.
1: (laughs) Well, well, you know, first and foremost, I'm sorry, you had to go through all of that. But you came at the at the good end of it. And, and, you know, some of the things that were coming to mine, as I was listening to your story is uh, obviously your bipolar disorder is something that had been there in mass for a very, very long time. Yes. You talked about the many episodes. I mean, perpetual action is a distraction, you know. When, when we're constantly doing something, thinking that you know I'm, I'm a go-getter, I'm gonna I'm a hustler, I'm gonna make this happen, and I'm gonna you know and I'm gonna run my business, and I'm gonna uh, take care of my husband, and I'm gonna take care of my dog, and I'm gonna take care of my body, and I'm gonna work out, and I'm gonna take care of my friends, and you know at some point you know we're a pressure cooker, something has to give in, and 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 on an undiagnosed mental illness, you know basically particularly in in bipolar disorder. Uh, alcohol acts as a medication. It calms you down for a while. Yeah. It, so, yep. so, so so it calms you down until you get out of that high and you're right back and even worse, you know, it has, it, yeah. it, 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 it has all the negative effects of all, of all of that. So, I mean, you know, it, hearing your story, you went from a teenager to graduating from high school to opening up a business to seeing a a friend be murdered or committed suicide.
0: Committed suicide, yeah, it was my best friend.
1: Yeah, your best friend committed suicide, and you bottled all this up. I never hurt you once, uh, you didn't even take a breath during that process of telling your story, but I I never heard you once, how you process all of this, and the reality is, that we are human beings living, you know, we are beings living a human experience, and and all of that needs to be processed in order for us to be well beings, in order for us to be in a good state of mind. We can't just continue to hold on to stuff and be expected not to explode at some point. And more particularly, if we are vulnerable to addiction, you yeah. know, uh, because we are the great pretenders. I mean, we can pretend everything is perfect you know we we have it all in control we have it all together you know i i also find it i find it um based on some of your words you know you 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 were ashamed or you felt you felt bad that your friends knew that you had a mental disorder which i think you know i'm very active in a campaign called imperfectly perfect which is a, a campaign to bring awareness worldwide to uh mental illness Uh, because I feel that we have brought attention to heart disease, we have brought attention to cancer, we have brought attention to a a lot, a lot of illnesses, but we never brought attention to something that 9 out of 10 people suffer from in one shape or form, you know, Uh, and, and this is something that we all stay away from. You know, we Mm -hmm. don't we don't want to talk about it it, is, you know, and the same thing is very common with addiction. Nobody wants to talk about it. That's why it permeates so, so hard in an underground surface, so so to speak, you know, Everybody knows we're the drunk. Everybody knows we're the addict, but nobody wants to talk about it. And the family won you know, they hope we don't show up at family reunions. They hope we don't show up. And then they're disappointed it wouldn't show up. So it's almost, it's, 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 there's a lot of misty emotions about all of this. Now, yep. let's go back to your, let's go back to your childhood, because you said, you said during your teenage years in high school, you started drinking, but you knew right there and then that, that you were off to the races. Okay, we were drinking to get drunk. What happened? Take us there because that's also very common with most of us in addiction. You know, most of us start drinking very early on, you know, typically 13 to 14 years old, high school, teenage years. And our mental development is stunted at the time that we start abusing alcohol. So we started abusing alcohol at the age of 13, 14, 15, 16 years old not we're an adult, we're into our 30s, but we're still acting with the same mental capacity as a 16-year-old or 13-year-old, 14-year-old or 15-year-old. So um, what happened after that? How frequent did your drinking get?
0: So when I was in high school, I played a select basketball and I had some girlfriends that I was close to, and we had someone that we knew that was older that was willing to let us party at their house and buy us alcohol. So it was pretty much like every weekend we were able to have access to it and have a safe place to do it where we didn't have to worry about driving. And I just remember when I drank alcohol, Uh, when I was younger, like in the beginning, I just, I loved the way it made me feel. It gave me that confidence and that, uh, you know, relaxation feeling. I felt comfortable in my skin when I was drinking, you know, it's that illusion that, we want to feel you know it's not reality like in reality i was an insecure young girl but the alcohol gave me courage and gave me confidence and made me more bubbly and more courageous to talk to a boy or you know whatever the case was so i really liked the way that it made me feel
1: now you're 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 an attractive woman uh oh, thank you you're An intelligent woman you were obviously involved in sports, uh, in school. You're, you're, I would say that you were with the right crowd. You were not, you were not, um, um, an outcast. Okay. No. Yeah. So so where did those insecurities come from, uh, Megan?
0: I think that, um, you know, my childhood, like, you know, my parents are still married and they're great people, but they were young when they had me. I'm the oldest child, so I think I saw some things I shouldn't see when I was younger. Um, I kind of took the brunt of uh, maybe them really not knowing how to be the best parents or what's appropriate to to let me see or not see. You know, my parents argued a lot when I was younger, so I witnessed a lot of yelling, which I can recognize now and say that I think that created a lot of anxiety. You know, I think when you're a young child, child and you watch other people yelling and arguing with each other and slamming doors and cupboards and you know throwing things across the room it creates anxiety in you and so I feel like for me as I got older when I would hear a loud noise or other people around me in my environment would be yelling like I would just immediately get uncomfortable and um so I think that had something to do with it. Um, the anxiety, the alcohol soothed it. And then also I think that, um, you know, again, with my parents, I'm the oldest and my parents really wanted my sister and I to be very good at sports. And we were, you know, my dad always practiced with us when we were little. And my sister and I were very good at softball and basketball. You know, we always made varsity, we got lots of playing time, we made all star teams growing up. And so I think at a very young age, I liked the approval and confidence I got when I was successful. And so I felt this immense pressure from a young age to be successful and to work so hard. And I think like you said earlier about the pressure cooker, that was totally me because I was just like, I thought I had to always be doing more and more and be more and more successful and make more and more money in order to be worthy. And I think that the alcohol just kind of, for a minute, I could escape from all of that. I didn't have to think about all of that for a while. It just kind of like numbed it and blocked it out. And for that time when I was drunk, I could just laugh and be goofy and, you know, do what drunk people do. You know what I mean?
1: Sure. You, you know, it's very interesting that you said that and you you go back to your to to your parents and, and the things that you witnessed as a child, because I came from a very dysfunctional environment as well. You know, there was a lot of... Uh, you know, my 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 story's published is posted on 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 the podcast page. Uh, there was a lot of dysfunction, and I learned very early on. Uh, I witnessed things that no young boy, young girl should ever witness, and and unfortunately, you know what you learn at that particular point. You 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 learn that you are powerless over those situations as a young boy, as a young girl, and you also begin to see that your life is unmanageable because yeah. there's nothing that you can do. And if you go back to a 12-step to us, to, to us 12, uh, 12 program, those are the premises of the first step, okay? So we develop as, as young adults, we start developing um, uh, mechanisms, survival mechanisms, surviving tools that help us cope and adapt to the, whatever environment that we're in. But those come with a big, big hefty price, anxiety, alcoholism, addiction, drug abuse, ways to escape, prom- uh, promiscuity, you name it. We are looking for short-term solutions to the way we feel internally instead of looking at internal solutions To to to, to remedy them. So, 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 you know, I learned that very early on. In fact, I write about that in my book. Um, You know, so so by the time I'm 16, I'm a freaking mess. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm a complete mess. And then I go on into adulthood and I don't do anything about solving all those issues that develop as a young boy and a young teenager. Uh, But I go into the business world and I am running a business. I'm running corporations. I'm running big companies. But yet, you know, my thinking, I, I derail off the wheels and I start doing stupid shit and self sabotage and, and destroying yeah. relationships and destroying my businesses and, and, and doing whatever it is that I'm doing because I don't feel worthy because I carry this dirty and shame and guilt and all this stuff that I carry from childhood. And I bring it on, over into adulthood. Not only do I bring it into adulthood, I bring it into my relationships, How how can we have a worthy relationship, a healthy relationship if we're not healthy? Yeah. How can we, how can we expect that? I mean, we're, we're unable, we're incapable of doing that until we actually dive into the issues that, that led us to where we're at, Peel the onion, as we say in recovery and, and, and undo, you know, uh, uh, undo and redo again, you know, start over again. So what would you tell a younger Megan? You obviously have done a lot more than, and, and, and I don't mean this in, in a minimizing form to your parents, but you've done more, you realize there's an issue, you realize there's a problem, you had an addiction, you had a mental illness, you want help, you want change, you want transformation, and you are, you're outspoken about it. So what would you tell somebody your age in your situation today? what would, what could they do different that you and I were not able to do because we didn't have the tools or the resources or the knowledge or the information to do so?
0: So you're asking me what I would tell like the teenage version of myself? Absolutely. Um, I mean, it's so, it's so challenging. There's so many different parts of it because I think it's part self-awareness, it's part accountability, it's part Uh, resentment, it's part forgiveness. There's so many things that go into it. Um, you know, when you're a teenager and you're living under your parents' roof and you're not independent, there's only so much that you can do to, um, you know, get help and change yourself. And when you're young and immature and you have all these hormones and you know, you have crushes on the opposite sex and things like that, you know, everything is just kind of chaotic and, um, I mean, I guess the number one thing I would say to the younger version of myself is love yourself, but also at the same time, looking back, like I didn't even know what that meant. Like if someone said, love yourself to me when I was a teenager, I would, I could hear the words, but I didn't truly know the meaning behind it. You know, I think the, the the more that we do this kind of work that we're doing with like Instagram and podcasts. And I agree with you. Like, I believe that what we're doing right now, like this is going to be the beginning of the future and, you know, making things better because I just think that It's it's a movement. Yeah. And I'm all about it because I believe I've gone through everything I have. Like when I was recovering from everything and even in early sobriety, I was so uncomfortable and just felt disgusting inside because I was actually letting myself feel for like the first time in my life, I was letting myself feel everything, you know, my friend's suicide, the fact that I have a mental illness, you know, my childhood trauma, you know, I was sexually abused when I was younger. Um, there's just things that I've been through that like are inside of me that I've never talked about. and never got help for. And so I guess one of the biggest things now that I think of it, that I would tell my younger self is to get help, as early as you can, you know, if I could go back and tell the Megan that was 23, that her best friend just committed suicide, I would have immediately got myself into therapy or some sort of treatment to get help right then. Like I think not to stuff and bury things because they really don't ever truly go away. Like if I was still drinking right now, all of that would still be, you know, within me. But because I've done the 12 steps, I've removed the substances. I've allowed myself to feel it. I've allowed myself to deal with it. I've processed it. And, you know, those wounds still hurt from time to time. But for the most part, I'm pretty healed. You know, I feel, I feel good. I feel free. I don't have all that baggage inside of me anymore and it's a relief so i think you know the more that we do this sort of thing and you know inspire people to feel comfortable and talk about their story I think that that's going to help make changes because if people feel comfortable talking about their mental illness, talking about, you know, their childhood trauma and getting it out of them and like getting help, because I think that's so much of the problem with addiction and mental illness and why it's not getting better is because everyone doesn't want to talk about it. Like you said, everyone is so afraid to be vulnerable and let the cat out of the bag. But at the end of the day, if you don't let the cat out of the bag and you don't let your skeletons out of the closet, it and you hold all that shit in, the likelihood that you're going to become an addict or an alcoholic is, you know, again, I hate the word alcoholic, but someone who struggles with substance abuse and masks their pain with substances, then it's likely going to happen, you know?
1: You know, you just said something that, 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 that is so, that brings so true to me. If you don't let the fucking cat out of the closet, he's still in the fucking closet and you're going to have to face him every day. Okay. Yeah. it gets out. Period. Period. Bottom line. And you said something else that that that, that resonated with me a lot, and I want to talk a little bit about it some more. You said, "I feel good. I feel free." Yes. Okay? And that is sobriety, and that is recovery. And I think the message that I want to share with people today, more than anything else, if they could get anything out of our conversation today, would you have? given us a whole bunch of nuggets, but if they could get anything else out of the conversation is that sobriety, recovery, evolution, transformation does not take 30 years, does not take 40 years, does not take 50 years, it it is not boring. It is not, it it, it is not, uh, you know, you're not, you're not gonna miss out on alcohol. You can still have a lot of fun. You can still enjoy life. Actually, you actually are present, you are part of instead of, in, instead of apart from. You, you, you belong to something. You are creating you are creating a community, you are creating a movement with your social media uh, uh, efforts. I'm doing the same thing, but not only that, our relationships outside uh, our communities are completely different than what they used to be. Because we're present, we're part of. We, we we belong to something. We feel good about ourselves and we want to share how we feel. And I think that's what people can expect out of sobriety, they can expect out of recovery, is that we're not we're, we're we're not boring people. I mean there's there's a lot to be grateful for and there's a lot a lot of life to live. Wouldn't you agree to, with, with that?
0: Oh, absolutely. Like, like I said, when I got home from treatment of August, 2018, from that point until about when I had six months sobriety, which was December 7th of 2018, that whole time period. I mean, when I was in treatment, I was just numb, just going through the motions. But when I got home and everything set in that like, you're, you gotta feel like crap. You gotta be sober. Or you're going to lose everything. I felt like I was suffocating. I felt like, Oh my gosh, like I'm never going to be able to go to a social event again. I'm never going to have fun again. I'm never going to like go to a fun event and take a picture and like post it and actually have a good time. You know, it's just so funny looking back on that because I had no idea what the definition of actually having a good time was because every good time to me, I was drunk. And you're not present when you're drunk. You're, it's an illusion. Like you wake up the next day with a hangover. You don't remember what you said or what you did or who you need to apologize to. Like for me, the definition of having a good time is waking up without a headache, feeling physically fit and well, and remembering everything I said and did from the day before and having integrity that, If people don't like me, that's fine. But no one can take away my respect that I know, that no one can say negative stuff about me, that, oh, she was drunk, she was so annoying, she was crazy, she did this, she did that. No one can say that about me anymore. They can say whatever they want, but I have my self-respect. No one can take that from me.
1: Beautiful, beautiful said. Now, what do you do, what do you do for, besides your, 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 YouTube channel, besides your Instagram account, what do you do for your well-being? What are your rituals? What are what are the things that you do to enhance your recovery?
0: So the first thing that comes to mind is I do CrossFit very regularly. And CrossFit is a combination of power Olympic lifting and gymnastics. And uh, my husband is a CrossFit coach. He's the one that got me into it. And when I first started doing CrossFit, I was very intimidated and scared and Just didn't think that it was for me, but it's become like a form of therapy for me. Um, You know, it's very intense. And for me, when I'm very manic and very like uh, up, I can let that intensity out and it calms me down. And also when I'm depressed and in the dumps and feeling low, uh, it kind of gives me that serotonin that I need to make me feel good. And so So that is something... Yeah. And that's something that's really not an option for me. You know, I know I do have days that I still struggle with bipolar disorder, even though I'm sober, I still struggle to manage my mental illness at times. And for me, like, I don't always want to go to the gym. I don't think anybody always wants to go to the gym, but for me, it's, it's not an option. Like, you know, I can tell myself, Oh, I don't really want to go, but I go anyways, because I know that it's what I need to do to live you know like you drink water you do certain things like that's just a part of what i need to do and don't get me wrong like if my body's exhausted or i need a day off like that's completely uh, acceptable you know i don't beat myself to death if my body needs to rest i listen to my body but between three and five times a week you will catch me doing crossfit for sure
1: so what do you do besides crossfit is there any prayer meditation journaling any of that stuff
0: Honestly, like the Instagram, the mind bar Instagram is like a form of journaling for me. It's blogging. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I get all of that, um, you know, writing my stories and then having, you know, the, the response of people that it's helping them. That really helps me. Uh, you know, I need to make sure I go to my, psych nurse practitioner appointments where she manages my medications and I have to stay up on that. You know, people have different opinions on medications, but in my situation with having a very, very, very severe mental illness, taking medication for me just isn't an option. I have to take it. And so doing those appointments is very important. I think also surrounding myself with people that, uplift me and believe in me and have my back a hundred percent through thick and thin. That's very important. You know, I noticed that when I gave up alcohol, all the drama that was in my life before kind of faded away. I cleaned up the negative side of my street when I did my amends in the 12 steps. And from there, my sponsor specifically said, no matter what, don't create new wreckage because now that I'm sober, I'm in control whether or not I create wreckage. And so you know, I feel at peace that all the enemies and crap that I had accumulated from people I had accumulated during, um, during my, you know, when I had my my business, I had toxic hair clients, I had toxic people in my life. I just had toxic relationships. And basically, um, they're all gone. You know, now I only surround myself with people that I know that if something bad happened, these people have my back during the worst and the best. And something I've learned is that the people that deserve my time and my energy are those that have stood by me through all of this. You know, I've lost a lot of relationships and it's been painful, but in the long run, I'm grateful that I know who my true people are. You know, it's, it's a blessing to know for sure. You know, I've had a unique, unique experience of being on my, quote, deathbed. Like, I know what it's like to be in the dumpster, in the gutter of life, and to see who actually lends their hand out to pick me up. And it's a beautiful thing, you know, but it's been really painful because a lot of people that I thought would reach their hand out and be there for me weren't. So it's kind of eye-opening, for sure.
1: Yeah, of course it is. You know, we don't, we don't realize, but the quality of relationships get better for us in sobriety. You know, the, uh, we, we have a tendency of doing, you know, how can we create boundaries when we had no boundaries? But now that we're sober and in recovery, we realize that not only do we want to impose boundaries on others, we owe others' boundaries on, on, on them. So so we we learn, we grow up, bottom line. We grow up. Yeah. We, 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 mature. we mature. We mature into adulthood. We, we yeah. We we become who we always were intended to be, but yeah, somewhere along the way we got lost in 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 the course of our addiction. Um, you, you know, it's, is 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 we end up becoming the sum of the five people that we hang around with. You know, so we yeah. hang around with five drunks, we're gonna be number six. And we right. realize when we sober up, when we clean up. That there's a lot more to life out there. That there's there's a lot of better better experiences. You know, early on in 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 my sobriety, I became a little quiet and a little withdrawn. And people would say, "Well, you're not as fun as you used to be. You're not you used to crack jokes. You used to do this. No, I used to make an ass out of myself. And I and yes, you, and you used to laugh at my expense. Okay. Yeah. And and I don't do that anymore because I am getting to know myself. And I and and yeah. every time. That I spend the more time that I spend with myself, the more I like myself. But it's taken me a long time to get to know who I was. Because at the end of the day, I would get lost in the bottle. I would get lost in the lust. I would get lost in pursuing the business opportunity. I would get lost in multiple distractions and perpetual action. That, that that all were doing distracting me. That were I, I was continuously running away from who I was because I didn't like to be with me. Yeah. And, and and today that I done. A lot of the work and this is not you know it the work never ends you know and yeah but but that's not in recovery that isn't any any type of growth and any type of evolution I mean that never ends you know we're we're students alive forever you know yeah and and it should never end why it would be boring if it did so yeah now uh, tell us how we can help you spread your message Uh, where can people find you in social media
0: So they can find me at the mind bar. So the way you would find me on social media on Instagram is at the period mind period bar. I'm sure you'll link that for me I somehow, will. some way. And yeah, so I only have really one form of social media. I've, uh, you know, reflected and that's what's best for my mental health. I don't need, for me personally, multiple forms of social media because for my mental health, it gets too overwhelming. So I just like to keep it in one place. And um, yeah, that's where I'm at.
1: Now, you keep referring to mental health, but you basically yeah. have, a, uh, you have a disorder, Okay, which is bipolar and and can you tell us a little bit about what bipolar is, what the bipolar disorder is in simple words, because I don't want people to misunderstand and think that, you know, you have this uh, for, for now, now that you're in recovery, now that you understand that you have a disorder, not you know how to manage that disorder. So what are the episodes, what are the symptoms and what can people expect?
0: Yeah, so bipolar disorder is, uh, so you have manic episodes and you have depressive episodes. And so the depressive episodes look something like, uh, just depression would look like, you know, you don't sleep or sleep too much. You gain weight or lose weight. You withdraw yourself from activities and people that you normally love. You might have suicidal ideation and there's more symptoms, uh, besides that, but I'll move to what a manic episode is. So a manic episode is when you have a period of elevation where you basically feel like Superman or superwoman. You don't need a lot of sleep. You have a ton of energy. You have lots of creative ideas. Uh, you talk a lot, you have pressured speech. You maybe do some strange behavior. Like, the things you say, the way you talk, the way you dress. Uh, if you have too much of no sleep, you could slip into a psychosis and think that you're a different person or friends with a celebrity. Uh, you know, manic episodes can be very scary uh, if they go past a certain point. And so, for me now, making sure that my manic episodes don't go over the edge. You know, I I'm so aware of my illness now that sometimes it's hard not to constantly be, you know, thinking I'm manic or depressed, but, um, now without the alcohol, my medications work better and help keep me in an even healed place. And, um, yeah, there's lots of books and references out there to learn about bipolar disorder. And I just strongly suggest that all people, no matter what, do some educating themselves on bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, PTSD, you know, just doing some reading about what it truly is and the symptoms and how you can help someone that's going through that, I think is very important because when I went through everything I did, people's response was to look the other way and to ignore and block me out when I desperately needed help. And I think my number one tip for someone that was dealing with someone that is having a manic episode is to do your best to deescalate the situation. Like that person is already flying pretty high in their mind. And if you come at them aggressively or shout at them and tell them, you know, You know, when I was manic, a lot of people were very mean to me and came at me and thought that the way I was acting was on purpose. And it just made the situation worse. So I think just being kind and using a gentle tone in your voice and offering that person help and assuring them that you care about them and that you're there for them no matter what would really go a long way.
1: And I think one of the things that people need to understand that a lot of those behaviors is a cry for help. Absolutely. we just don't know how to ask for help because we feel completely misunderstood and we are in a we are in a psychotic state of mind we are in a crazy state of mind we don't come down to humility we don't know how to how to be able to say i need help and 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 unfortunately because a lot of the mental illnesses have never really been spoken about publicly it is very hard for someone on the opposite side to understand the symptoms to understand that somebody uh, uh, like you, like me, or like, like many people in, in addiction or with any type of mental illness, if you look put together, if you look like, you know, you dress well, you have a business, you, 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 you drive a nice car, you're married, you have a dog. I mean, if, if, if the surface looks perfect and you're behaving erotic, they think that there's actually being, that you are behaving a certain way out of, out of craziness out of uh, out of being spoiled out of being a brat and the reality is that in, in 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 many situations in many cases it's our cry out for help and we don't know how to ask for help and and that's where the education the awareness need to brought into that's where we need that's that's where it needs focus and attention to
0: absolutely a-
1: any closing words
0: um I just want to say thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm so grateful that I met you. I really like you as a person. I feel like we have a very similar mindset and vision of what we want to see for the future and how we want to help people. And I just want to say to anyone out there that is struggling either with a mental illness or substance abuse to just know that Recovery is possible. Just to know that I was in such a dark place for many years thinking that things were never going to get better and thinking that, you know, suicide or substance abuse the rest of my life was the only way to get through. But I'm here 18 months sober doing better than ever. I feel happy and healthy. I take my medications and that you can get better if you put if, if that's what you really want to do you know reach out to people that can steer you in the right direction and just know that you aren't alone because i've been there too
1: megan thank you so much for being so transparent for sharing your story and for all the work that you do in your community uh thank you for coming on and 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 being part of our community today i like you i i, I feel tremendous uh, gratitude and i'm so glad i met you and i love what you're doing and I wanna stand a hand uh, if I can help with any type of collaboration in any way, shape or form I'm available. I do this because, not because I'm unique, but because my story is a story of many. And the more that we talk about it, the more that we empower people to talk about their stories and share their stories, and the more awareness that we can bring and the healthier communities that we can create. Uh, That is my purpose. That is part of my 12-step program. That is part of what I want to contribute to, uh, to society. You know, my parents, unfortunately, did not have the foresight, the education, or the know-how to be able to make a difference in, in, in a way that will create a healthier environment. I know better. We have all the tools, we have all the resources, we have Google, we have YouTube, we have social media, we have mentors, we have influencers, we have motivational speakers. There's endless of tools and resources available for those of us that want to get educated, that want to be in for, and that want to make an impact in society. It it is not only our duty, it's just our obligation to do so. So I encourage everyone to participate, to participate in the well-being of others. Megan, thank you so much for being here. Audience, thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being part of Coming Clean podcast. I encourage you to follow us and leave us a review. We are available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Google Play. Please follow us and subscribe. Thank you so much. Thank you, Megan. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for listening. And if you have not subscribed, please do so today. Thank you, and we look forward to having you in our next.